everyone. This podcast is brought to you by Global Shop Solutions ERP Software. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Upside Swings of VA Draft Podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined always by the great Stone Hansen, and the next in our series of guests here to talk to Brooklyn Nets, the great Alex Sturm. Uh, the Nets are super interesting. Uh, we'll get into their season in a little bit. They also have a very interesting draft situation, which we have not had on the podcast yet. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to dive into it, and especially with someone who does great work like Alec. Alec, my friend, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm going on a Friday evening, and there's nowhere I'd rather be. I'm, I'm super excited for draft prep. And this is when like the off season and like the nuts and the reporters can really get into it. So I'm really excited. Yeah, absolutely. Us too. It's um, yeah. With you guys, I mean, sadly, in some ways being out of the playoffs, as sad as that is like for, as you know, being a reporter, sometimes that's the best stuff. That's the, that's when the juice comes in. So stone, my friend, how you doing? Uh, doing well. Um, excited to kick off the weekend by talking nets. Uh, and a lot of exciting stuff on the docket, so it should be a good one. Yeah, it's an exciting day. It's, uh, you know, I can't, I can hardly believe it's almost the weekend, and uh, this will drop tomorrow. Lots of times we're recording these in, in advance, but this will drop tomorrow on Saturday uh, because Alec has something exciting coming out soon that, that we'll preview. But before we get too into the draft and, and, and all that type of stuff, Alec, how would you describe the Nets' season it's, it was obviously up and down. There was some tumult throughout. Just in general, how would you describe that season? Oh, I mean, oh, man. What can, what can you say, really, about the Nets 2022 NBA season? But I think, I think it was really a year where they were always one to seven steps behind of where they needed to be as the season progressed. Whether it was Kyrie Irving and his wide range of availability throughout the year or a bad – timed injury specifically to Kevin Durant or a trade request that came out of nowhere it seemed like the Nets could never really catch up and they were left doing training camp in the final week of this regular season they there wasn't enough time and I'm not sure there ever there was ever going to be enough time to get that roster working together yeah it was just sort of I mean the Nets sort of transition into um a basketball centerpiece has not been graceful. It felt like, you know, like that off season, they got Kevin Durant, they got Kyrie Irving. It felt like the nets are taking this huge step. And then, you know, they last year after the Harden trade, it really felt like this is a championship team. This is, they're going to do it. And then Kevin foot, Kevin Durant's big ass foot kind of, you know, threw things off a little bit. And then this season was just from an outsider's perspective, absolutely wild i mean from the Kyrie irving stuff to just opening my phone one day and being like oh james harden might actually be traded i thought that was a joke like i didn't think that was like a real thing and it, and it was it was just it was really funky from the outside but you'd still be hard pressed to say that the nets if they can just get things together aren't like true true championship contenders because they have a core of kevin durant Kyrie irving and now maybe you can say he's in there ben simmons who of course, has had, you know, an up and down career, but is undeniably a very good all-star caliber player. Alec, what do you think of those core three guys? Do you think they can all fit together to be the big three on a championship team? Or do you think there's just some issues there that we're not going to see resolved? Yeah, wow. Ben Simmons. It's weird to see his name there still because, I mean, he hasn't played. 
Um, yeah, no, if you talk to people from the Nets, they definitely think that this big three has, has what it takes with the right supporting cast. I, I think the same, at least on paper, they have pretty complementary skill sets when you look at two dynamic forwards, dynamic in different ways, but still two-way guys. And then Kyrie Irving, who's a scoring machine and is playing a number two Robin role. I think if it all does come together, which has always been the biggest if for this team for the last three years, I think they can definitely win a championship if things break right. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you. And, and for me, it's mostly just KD is that good still. I mean, when he was healthy this year, he was an MVP caliber player. Um, he, he struggled with injuries, and I really hope that that's not a consistent thing. But I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes because it's undeniable that KD is one of the best of a generation. And um, he's still, you know, I think he still has a couple of years of prime left. Uh, but it, I, I will say this is not like a bulletproof top three. This isn't, this doesn't feel like, you know, the KD Warriors teams where it's like you could put whatever around them and they're going to win a championship because you just have Steph and Clay and Trey and KD. It feels like you need to have a more airtight surrounding core. And this year, I feel like they didn't really get that. Uh, Joe Harris was hurt most of the year. I'm a big Joe Harris fan. He's PNW guy, um, but he was hurt this year. Um, Seth Curry came halfway through the year and was did an admirable job replacing Harden, but it's also hard to say Seth Curry like replaced James Harden. Bruce Brown is someone I love, but he's sort of inconsistent. Goran Dragic came in halfway through the year and was just ended up being like he played like the three in a playoff series. Patty Mills, like Alec, what do you think of this this older core around the top three? And what do you think it would need to look like for that top three to win the championship? Well, I think what you said kind of initially really about, about the big three and the fact they're still holding, I think that's interesting because I, I, I do agree. And you, you have to compare it to the prior big three, the one that included James Harden, the James Harden that was at the peak of his powers pre Achilles or pre pre hamstring. I'm sorry. And to me, the biggest hole with the big three is, is a true playmaker and theoretically Ben Simmons fills that void. And I'll definitely get into this later with draft prospects. But Ben Simmons fills that void as a playmaker. But there's a question of how valuable of a playmaker are you if you cannot create your own shot, especially deep into the postseason. We've seen him relegated into an off-ball offensive role, which is never what you want from a guy like him who's supposed to be a top three player on your team, even if he is technically good in the dunker spot. And we really saw in that first-round series even though they were, it was a close four games, it was still four losses of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving struggling as lead facilitators. Yeah, and I definitely think that it's just sort of interesting to, to talk about that because I, I think, you know, in the 2K world, right, like this isn't a team that needs a lead initiator. That's not what this team needs because you'll just run Kyrie, KD, ISOs. But you're right that a good defense like the Celtics really locked in and you know, those two still got their buckets in the playoffs, but made it hard. And there was no one really to kind of be that safety valve, no one to really calm things down and, and run plays. And I think that's something I'm interested to see if they can try and fill this offseason. I'd be shocked if it's through the draft, especially with 23rd pick, but it is a possibility. That does move me to obviously Stone and I specialty, young guys. Um, the, the Nets have three young guys I really like that I thought were excellent picks where they drafted um nick claxton of course was a couple years ago and has already proved to be a valuable playoff player even if sometimes in the regular season his value is maybe lessened because what he does is so playoff specific at times 
Uh, Cam Thomas and Kessler Edwards from last year's draft were two guys I really, really liked. Um, I thought Cam Thomas was a steal at 27. And then Kessler Edwards, for me, I had him as a lottery guy. I thought he was the absolute steal of the draft in the 40s. Daron Sharp, I was a bit lower on, but there's some promise there. Alec, what do you think of this sort of, you know, quote unquote, young core? Yeah, I think I think the way the Nets have drafted in the past few years has been really intriguing, especially last year. They have five draft picks and some undrafted guys, too. Um, I think you see guys like Nick and Dayron, who who are two centers who bring vastly different skill sets, like a guy like Nick Claxton's a switchable guy who is not, not going to do much with the ball in his hands, whereas Daron Sharp is like relegated to drop coverage and is trying his best there but will get offensive rebounds and can bang in the post. Kessler Edwards was like a knock out of the park, even if he really wasn't able to step it up playoff time. That's okay. He was drafted in the forties and the promise is really there. Cam Thomas is one where I wonder if Kevin Durant was in the draft room and I was just like, yeah, that's what I want because he was great. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't know what his fit is on a championship win now team. And I, I don't know if he'll be on the team next year. Yeah, Kim Thomas seems like the type to me who would be involved in a type of trade because he brings more value to almost any other team but the Nets. Like, even, like, the Celtics could probably use Cam Thomas more than the Nets because the, the Celtics don't really have, like, a bench bucket getter with size, you know. But the, the last thing the Nets need is a non-passing score only bad defender at the two guard, even though I do like Cam Thomas. Um, what, Alec, what do you think, like, you mentioned already, you know, the playmaker, but thinking specifically draft, obviously you're not going to find like a top tier playoff playmaker at 23 if they decide to keep that pick. What, like, are the type of holes you think they should be looking to fill in the draft? I think, I think the biggest hole for the Nets roster-wise is just having sides. Their biggest one of their biggest downfalls in that postseason was that every guy was so undersized from Patty Mills to Goran Drugic, who I loved, to Bruce Brown and Seth Curry and Kyrie. And I mean, Cam, Cam Thomas and CeeLo, but these are all undersized guys. Like the guys in the wings that didn't get on the floor were also undersized. So whether it's a guard, you want them to have size, whether it's a forward, you want them to have size. Any big, just any big who projects to play in the postseason, they've already gone for two very different bigs, so I don't think they'll go that way. But if they do, and I have some names, I have some big names written down, someone with size who can, like, survive in the playoffs at some point. Not right away, but at some point. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's a big thing. Again, I mentioned, like, sort of in my opening preamble thing, like, Goran Dragic was playing, like, the three for them in the playoffs. And it's just you can't. You can't get away with that um, against, especially as you move on in the playoffs. It actually kind of worked. I think, I think Goran had a positive plus minus in the playoffs, but I could, I could be wrong. Uh, those were four close games. You know, it really did not feel like a sweep in many ways, but um, the last thing before we get fully into who we like at 23, um, it's just, there's this term deferment and uh, basically the Nets don't have to take this 23rd pick. They can defer it to next year. Alec, could you maybe explain exactly, you know, what that is, like, like what goes into that and then what you think the Nets are going to do? Yeah. So the Nets have the 23rd pick in the NBA draft this season. They won it. Um, they received it from the Philadelphia 76ers in the mid season, James Harden trade. 
And when they got it from Philadelphia, they received also the right to defer their selection to next year, essentially betting on Philly's performance. It'll, it'll again be Philly's pick, betting on how the Sixers will play next year and whether they'll be better or worse than the seventh best team in the league. I, I do expect them to defer, though I think I think the strongest argument, and I mean we we want we set we want for the sake of this podcast, we want us to not defer. Let's like talk about some of these guys. I think the biggest argument for them not deferring is it's gonna be tough for them to fill out the roster this year without so many veteran minimum guys. So are they calling guys up from the G League? Where are they like from Summer League? Where are they finding names to fill out the roster? Or is it just another a bunch of 35-year-olds again? Because that did not work last time. Yeah, and I also think it's important to note that I, I believe the Nets have, they still have the rights technically to Raekwon Gray and Marcus Segarowski, right? They drafted them last year and then didn't even tender them rookie contracts, like not even a two-way. They just sort of stashed them in the G League. I'm not sure if that's exactly like a, uh, if, it, if it works like a draft and stash or if it works like, how any guy going to the G League does, where they played on the Long Island Nets, but they weren't, they could technically sign with any team. Do you know if, if there's any distinction there, Alec? Yeah, I'm like almost positive. The Nets like have their rights, like a draft and stash kind of situation. Raekwon Gray has been in the Nets facility recently. He, I'm, I'm very confident he'll be in Summer League. I'd expect Marcus to be too, but I'm not sure there. Um, yeah, I, and we'll definitely get to them at some point because I, I have an opinion on those guys. I've watched, I watched them play all year in Long Island. So those are two interesting prospects with some very real strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about them when we get there. But I think that does take us to the 23rd pick. And obviously picking a most realistic guy at 23 is really hard, especially as Stone and I have talked about in this draft specifically. It feels like there is just zero consensus from, you know, um, basically 18 to, to 40, 50, even like, like we've had a tough time pinning down specific guys in this area, but stone, I'll throw this to you. You know, uh, Alex sent us a great list of guys. The nets have worked out and they're going to continue working guys out. So it doesn't have to be someone from this list, but if you had to choose, like who do you think is the most realistic target at 23? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously you sort of, immediately look at, at sort of the list that they've brought in uh, and a couple names that stand out um, for me would Bryce McGowan's bringing him in is pretty interesting, especially after the fact that you just drafted Cam Thomas. I think that initially, at least early on with McGowan's, he probably projects to fill sort of a similar role. Um, and maybe that's, you're able to leverage Cam into some sort of trade talk because you're taking McGowan's now, but uh, he's interesting and I really do like McGowan's. So if they were to keep this pick, that would be a really cool and good pick at 23, I think. Um, uh, there's some guys that are listed as second rounders, but I wouldn't hate necessarily at 23. Like uh, Josh Minot is probably a little bit of a reach at 23, but um, I do think that he probably brings some of that size that the Nets are looking for. Um, you know, you could bring him and Kessler Edwards off the bench, and now you have two sizable wings that can at least, at the very least, sort of defend at their position, hopefully. Um, so I, that's also just sort of an interesting name that popped out. Those would really be two, the two that I think stand out to me of the list that they've worked out. But um, I do think that 
there's some options at 23 if they were to keep this pick that could uh, fill out this roster and, and contribute to an extent of their rookie season. Yeah, if I'm trying to think of guys who, who might contribute immediately, as Alec was mentioning, they might need because the, the roster just feels so thin. Um, Jake LaRavia feels like the obvious guy to me. Um, we've talked about him a couple times. He comes up, he, he's this year's Eve Pons in the fact that he just comes up on what feels like every single podcast, uh, especially if the team has a pick basically anywhere from 15 to 40 because it's just like he's so obvious. Like he, he just feels like an NBA player. Um I, I think his him specifically, you mentioned size, like he's a big, strong six, seven forward wing type who just does a lot of things. Um, and I think I think he'd be a great fit. Uh, he he's the type of guy like if I had to pick one guy for the Nets who can be the. Man, like I don't even know this year, it feels like it doesn't have an example, but in the past, there's been rookies who were like sort of OK in the regular season and in the playoffs, they fill such a crucial role. You know, like, like Kaminga is almost that, but not quite. But there's other names that I'm blanking on, especially in past years. But Laravia feels like that guy to me, where it's like he's a rookie who isn't going to put up numbers, is going to, you know, like any rookie, be slow to adapt to, like, a, a, an NBA defensive system. But then once it clicks for him and once the playoffs roll around and you need someone who can guard on the perimeter, who can help, who can shoot, who's going to make passes, like, Laravia just feels like that guy. And the other one, if he slips, I think Marjan Bochamp at 23. Again, another guy, I don't really know his range. I've seen him as high as 16, but I think he could be there at 23. And that's just like dream fit. Uh, you want someone who's going to defend. I think he can defend a point of attack too, because uh, the Nets are very, very thin on point of attack defense outside of Bruce Brown. I think he can uh, slide with guards. I think he can guard forwards. Um, he makes good rotations on defense. The, the swing skill is the shot, but I think he can shoot. Uh, I'm, I'm higher on that than some people and he's just like really athletic he's a good cutter just another guy who just feels really obvious like if you're just looking for someone who is going to contribute early in their career rookie year sophomore year like Laravia and 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 Bochamp seem like those guys to me Alec I, I know you're not super into the draft stuff but is there anyone that sort of stands out to you that, that you want to ask us about maybe or, or anything like that yeah Bo, Beauchamp, Bo, Beauchamp my bad sorry is, is one of the guys I had written down. I, uh, I saw him play in person this year in the G League, someone who plenty of NBA scouts showed up and were talking about kind of on press row. And I think he's someone that makes sense, at least when you're kind of looking like as a forward, like as a forward, he, sits, he fits the size profile when what, what I did see of him, like he played very much like kind of in between, wasn't creating to, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, please do but like wasn't creating for himself as much as he was trying to find opportunities and play kind of in the middle. And I don't know, I thought that was, that was something that would project well. Another guy I'd written down was Walker Kessler, who just projects like a very strong defensive force. And that is something that I think this Nets team where the defense, where the defense has been questioned for years is like, it's never a bad choice. Stone and I are both lower on Kessler. I think he is at least a couple years away from being an actual NBA defender at the big. Like the idea of him as a 7 1 dude who's like, you know, he's huge and he moves okay for that size. And of course, he led the NCAA in blocks, but um, he barely left the paint at Auburn. Um, and he's just, he is very, very jumpy. Like he sold out for blocks a ton. He did not actually like consistently affect guys at the rim as much as he just got blocks. It's very 
you know, Stone called it like college Hassan Whiteside, like back when prime Hassan Whiteside, he's gotten better at it, you know, with the jazz this year, but kind of prime Hassan Whiteside where it's just like, he would sell out for blocks, even if that meant that it was sometimes, or a lot of times going to give up easier finishes. Um, That's kind of Kessler right now. I think there's some upside there. If, if, if he was to pick at 23 as even though I'm lower on it, I wouldn't be like, like I wouldn't hate it because his idea of what he could be with the nets down the line is, is solid. You just have to, be willing to be patient with him, I think, because I don't think he's ready to contribute at a defensive level in the NBA, which few bigs are, for being fair. Like, uh, being a big as a rookie is the hardest thing to do. It's it's really hard to be a good defensive rookie. What, uh, what, there, go ahead. What do you guys think of um of Christian Braun? That was someone who kind of jumped out to me when I was looking through names, but I, I don't know much. It makes sense, I think, for the Nets as – I uh, I mean, theoretically, a 3 and D type of guy. I think he's going to be a pretty solid shooter. There's some upside there as maybe like a secondary playmaker at times, especially if he's playing alongside some of the Nets, one of the Nets' big three in like staggered lineups. Um, I think the defense is overblown. I don't see him being like more than probably like a passable defender. I don't see him being like a a real positive on that end, but I don't think he's going to be a liability either. Um, which for the Nets, you know, is a, a, probably a positive in and of itself uh, on the wing. Um, but uh, I think he's a fine – personally, I have him in the second round more so because there's just a lot of guys I'd rather take bets on. Like he feels like a safe NBA player, um, which is fine. But I think that there's a lot more upside to be had, especially at 23 where the Nets are picking before you get to Brown from just from my perspective. Yeah, yeah. I I think Brown is is fairly interesting. Alec, how long do you think they they're gonna hold on to Joe Harris? Like, do you think he's like in on this team for the long haul, or do you think he's a potential trade candidate this offseason? I I think, yeah, I think he'll be on the team. I, I've heard that he's gonna be on the team. I think part when a team flames out like the Brooklyn Nets did this past year, you you chalk it up the internally. They, they, you, they, you have to find some things to point to. They've already, there's going to be a lot of changing to the coaching staff, not to Steve Nash, apparently, which was expected, but won't be happening. Um, but a lot of assistants are coming in and out. And obviously Joe Harris's injury is one of the things that a lot of people are pointing to. When we get Joe back, who is like Seth Curry, but a few inches taller and can hold his own and can actually play small forward. I think that's something that will change the team more than people expect. Yeah, I definitely think he's underrated. And I think what you'd be like pointing to with Brown eventually is that he could maybe fill that Joe Harris role. Similar college profile, you know, 6'6", wing, not long arms, but kind of good defensive uh, indicators and um, uh, aptitude, I guess would be the word. Um, But played on a good team, didn't put up a ton of points, could really shoot. You know, in college, both were better slashers than I think they project to be in the NBA. So I think if you could sell it like that, like in a couple of years, he's replacing Joe Harris. I like Brown a little better. Um, again, he's just the type of guy who I think no matter what, like kind of what I'm getting at at 23 a lot is it's just you have to have a specific development plan for a lot of these guys. Um, like I, I don't mind if a team reaches on my board at 23, so long as it's like a pick that like I think really makes sense. Like 
uh, it's not even a reach for me, but like Jabari Walker, like if they were to draft Jabari Walker, I think that's like a, that's like an interesting move. If their goal is to develop him as like a small ball stretch five who can switch when needed, who, or who can play next to Nick Claxton and kind of be like a yin and yang where uh, Jabari Walker is the pop big and, and Claxton is the roll big or, or in the dunker spot. Um, Wendell Moore is maybe a bit of a reach on my board, but I think he's really, really just good. Like he's someone who's just good at basketball. And I think that would go a long way. He's also big for his position. If he's a two, um, he's, he's strong. Um, Stone, I want to throw the same to you. I don't know where he's at, um, but he, I think, I think I saw him. Um, oh, maybe not. I thought I saw him on the workout list, but he's not, but Stone, I want to ask you, I think Justin Lewis would be a really funky fit pick at 23, but I think it's possible. He tested really well at the combine. I thought, um, I think he shot well at the combine as well. Um, he's someone who, the more I watch other, you know, players in the big East, like my eye continues to be drawn to Justin Lewis. I kind of get higher and higher on him every day. Would you think like that would be an absurd pick at 23? Not absurd, but definitely probably far from my favorite. (laughs) Um, I think that he does provide an element of being able to space the floor at the four position um, while also being a probably neutral to plus defender um, is is something the Nuts don't have a lot of. Uh, I think that playing him alongside like a Kevin Durant uh, gives you a lot of length in, in shooting, um, which would be something the Nets could really use in, in those staggered lineups. Um, again, I, I think with Lewis, I have him in the second for sort of similarly similar reasons to, to Brown as like an overarching theme, just as guys that I think are safe NBA guys that can maybe be your um, solid like ninth guy off the bench. Um but there's just more upside I feel available at 23 that I would rather take before I, I look towards Justin Lewis. I think that's fair. Uh, we'll get into this, this list of guys here in a second, talking about undrafted, potentially buying into the second round. But Alec, I wanted to ask you, what do you think? Like, so if they, if they don't defer this pick, is there any chance they trade it or they package it with someone and trade for something? Or do you think if they keep this pick, it's definitely going to be like that player is going to be on the nets next year. I think there's also a solid chance that they, they do defer and trade. I think there's a solid chance they trade one way or another. I'll, I'll put it. I think their best way of getting a player back, like their best salary slot is one of the um, trade exceptions that they have. They have an around like 10, a million dollar, 10, $11 million trade exception, a $6 million trade exception. And then some really two small ones, like two and 1 million. So I think they could, they could take some guys in there. Um, I don't know. Someone that came to mind for me was Kenrich Williams, though I wouldn't be surprised if a Fender have gotten even more than a twenty than twenty third pick because there was so much noise around him last year's trade deadline. And and that's what's interesting about you asking kind of about moving Joe Harris because he's like the big salary number there. I like he's around like sixteen seventeen million, so he can no he's at eighteen million. Sorry he can really bring in like a high level guy. If you wanted to package him in the 23rd pick and maybe another future pick for someone like Jeremy Grant, I know that was kind of out there at the deadline, but didn't end up happening. So I mean, I understand why they didn't do that, but that 
definitely is a possibility moving the 23rd. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think like, uh, you know, about 18 million. What is, what is Malcolm Brogdon making? Alec, that, I don't know why the same that comes to mind, but you mentioned sort of if you if they are going to make a trade, maybe you'd like them to make a trade for someone who can be a creator for them um, and, and a real passer. I think Brogdon is a really solid passer. And the plus is that he has the size positionally to be your two, but can operate as your point guard on offense. So you can have Kyrie be the shooting guard that he is while being point guard size. Uh, is there any other name that stands out to you or, or do you like Brogdon or Harrison Barnes is a possibility who's obviously a little different. Are there any names that kind of stand out to you? I love Brogdon. I think that's a great one, honestly. Like, he's – I talked about a creator. He's someone who can bring it defensively. Isn't huge, but isn't undersized, and it's all that matters at this point. Um, and moving with Joe Harris would, would really hurt, I think. But if you're bringing a guy like Brogdon, especially if you can stay healthy – that'd be a big help to this team and really let Kyrie Irving play off ball, which is where he's best. Yeah. Uh, I don't, that just kind of popped to me. I, I, he's just a guy who I, who I like, who I think needs a specific context, but I think like Brooklyn is a very good context for him and he's a good uh, boost to Brooklyn. So I want to talk about some of these names um, that they've worked out that. Uh, so we've talked about the second round, right? It is absurdly easy to buy into the second round uh, at this point, like basically any pick past like 38, maybe even before that in some cases, you can just straight up pay for. Um, but there's also a chance these guys are going to be UDFAs. Um, there's a couple names we already mentioned, like Josh Minot. Uh, but there's also some guys who I think are really interesting, um, who if the Nets are interested in, I think it's a very um, – it, it would be a very, very good place to go, especially the wings. So I'm looking through – Darion Sebron would be really interesting. He's maybe the best bet of these guys to actually be a creator in his rookie year, as crazy as that sounds. Um, and that same bet goes for Iverson Molinar, who I've not seen a ton of, but he is maybe the foremost rim pressure guard in this range. Uh, Ron Harper Jr. is an interesting wing, uh, who I know Stone is kind of lower on, but I find him really fun and interesting. Keon Ellis, Julian Champagny, Aminu Muhammad is someone I've gotten to be fairly high on. I think he's really he's really fun. Uh, Gabe Brown, I, I know we've talked about on the pod a little bit. Jalen Wilson and Jared Roden. Are there any of those names that specifically stand out to you as like you would love their fit here in in uh, Brooklyn? So, um, just looking through the list, I really like Jalen Wilson on the Nets. I think that's a really interesting one. I like Jalen Wilson overall and. This might be a pretty hot take, but uh, I think he actually might be the Kansas's best prospect. Um, he, I, I think, gives them some of that size, uh, somebody that is versatile enough to be able to go out in the perimeter, but strong enough to defend in some situations uh, further down. Um, he provides an element of spacing as well. So uh, I, I think that I think that Wilson is really the guy um sort of the list of the guys at least that we have that they've worked out that that really stands out to me um as somebody that if I were the Nets I would sort of be targeting in that second rounder as an undrafted guy yeah the one for me that stands out most is um is Gabe Brown I just think he is like he's he's a legit three and D wing he's horrible rotationally on defense but um, when they decide to, the Nets actually do like to play at like just a pure switch everything. And Gabe Brown is super fluid. He's strong, um, really solid on-ball defender. 
uh, and he can shoot. And, and that's kind of all it takes sometimes to, you know, it's, it's sort of like, like, a, like if you took the, the off ball defense away from Kessler Edwards, that's kind of what Gabe Brown is. And obviously that's a less enticing prospect, but that's a very, that's at least someone who in the in the, a very specific circumstance can succeed and the nets are that specific circumstance i think um and then the other one is aminu muhammad uh he's he's one of the better point of attack defenders in this class i don't think he stays in as we record this we are four and a half days away from um the early entry deadline for college basketball players where they have to decide if they're going to go back to school i don't think muhammad stays in if he does we'll talk about him uh, on a scout on the pod at some point but I really like him. I He was like Georgetown's only positive player this year, basically. Really good point of attack defender, funky ball handler, really athletic. Shot is a question, but again, like he's someone who, you know, if the Nets decide Bruce Brown is even a little too expensive and you just need someone who can approximate that, like Aminu could do that. And, and again, it's, it's guys who kind of fill a very specific niche because that's kind of what the Nets are to me. They're a team who needs specific players, and they'll help specific players succeed in ways they can't in other places. Like I love Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown only succeeds on certain teams, right? And the Nets are one of those. And uh, if he was on, you know, the Jazz, it would not have worked. Like he could not have played with the Jazz at a high level. Like, but with the Nets, he he gets to play those high level minutes because he does a specific thing or two specific things really well. And the other talent on the team covers up for his weaknesses. That just screams to me someone like Aminu Muhammad, someone like Gabe Brown, Julian Wilson to an extent, but I think Julian Wilson is a little better than those guys. Um, guys who are limited, but will return a lot of value if you can put them in the right spot. Um, Alec, I know that you have sort of a G League article coming out, and uh, I'm really excited about it, um, especially our co-host who's not here. Coop and I are big, big G League fans. Um, I just wanted to ask you, you know, preview the article for us and then and then we'll dive into it from there oh yeah it um i'm pretty sure it dropped yesterday actually like yesterday evening afternoon ish um i i sat down with long island nets head coach adam Horn a few weeks ago and i profiled him last week i did a whole long thing on kind of his history as a coach what he did this year how he might join the organization going forward and and then also part of that interview which i did which I kind of detailed out this week was just, I went down the line with him, with each young player, guys who saw a lot of time in Brooklyn, guys who saw a lot of time in Long Island. And just was like, what do you think? Like, give me, give me your thoughts. And obviously, I mean, I think it's a little, it's a little spun a little positively as, as you'd expect, but I think this is pretty good insight because I, I know him to be a pretty honest guy. And I think it's pretty, pretty solid insight to get from like a coach who's seen these guys, who's like at the Nets training center all off season and is seeing everyone play, really. Something I've learned in my time with coaches is they can't help but be candid if you're, like, really talking. Like, even if they're trying to mostly spin things positive, like, they will be candid with you if they're um, talking about players and stuff. That's just, in my experience with, with coaches, that just tends to be how they are. Um, that especially, will be in the oh, Especially if you say something they disagree with. If you, yes. yeah. if you're, like, that guy every day in the gym just and he's like well hold on actually you know what? like like if it's something you could tell got in his nerves at one point he'll correct they'll they'll correct you yeah no that's definitely very true I, i've dealt with kyle smith a couple times and and who's wsu's head coach and it's very like 
you can just kind of tell. You can just kind of tell. Um, I wanted to ask you then about the two guys they drafted last year who they have the stash rights to um, in Zegarowski and in Gray. I really liked Raekwon Gray last year. I had him as a top 45 guy or something like that. Um, and I just think he's really funky. And I thought the Nets not having him on the team early on and choosing someone like James Johnson over him felt like a big mistake to me because I thought he could bring a lot of important stuff that they need. But, you know, the Julie can go a little different, and maybe I was proven wrong. Uh, Zagorowski, I was a little lower on, but I think he's funky and fun. He can shoot. Uh, what do you think of those two, and what do you think of their future going forward? Oh, this is kind of fun because um, Raekwon, they call him Turk on the team. I, I love Turk. He's a, nice, he's a good guy. I, I don't love him, like, as a player, really. I, I, I watched him in Summer League last year, and I was not enamored. And, and I mean, Capes was as honest about him as anyone else on the team. I was like, yeah, he really struggled this year. There were some, there were some games where you really saw the promise. There was like a 13 point, 10 rebound, nine assist. And like, he's operating in the high post and maybe he has a three or two, but there were a lot more like seven turnover games and like bad foul number games. And I think, I think he's way too mistake prone to be on an NBA roster even next season. I think the weight is still an issue. And I think there's potential because, of course, there's potential, but I don't think he's there yet. Yeah, I find that interesting. I didn't watch a ton of Long Island Nets this year, so I definitely trust your judgment on that over mine. I think the sell for me was that he's big and smart, but I also think that if he if he can't get down to a – like a lot of those mistakes, in your opinion, did some of them stem from, like, weight, like – he has to foul because he can't like he just doesn't have the athleticism to access certain help to, like defense or even on ball defense or you know because he's just a little slower he's more likely to get stripped and and it, it makes his passes a little delayed or do you think it was a lot of he was reading the game kind of slow actually i i don't think the mistakes were very like weight related honestly i think i think he was just not super ready for the speed of the pros and like he like would, cause part of it is that he's such a willing passer and cause he is skilled at it. But when you're a high volume guy, you're gonna make, you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna like a lot of those lob passes were off target. And so, and he would force things because he knows he can do them. So I think it's, he's not reading and reacting. It's like a preset read where he's kind of forcing it. So it's not so much weight. I think the weight showed up a lot more on defense where he can stick with a guy and he can be a body well enough, but laterally, he's just not amazing. He's not terrible, but he's definitely not amazing. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's fair. And Alec, what were your thoughts on, on Zego this year? Uh, Zego had some huge draft Twitter fans. Like there were some guys who were very, very happy with that pick. I, I thought it was a fine pick. Um, I was a little lower on Zegarowski, but um, he was, he was fun. And I think he showed some promise in summer league. So what did you think of, of Zego this year? Oh yeah. I mean, cause I, I get my first real look at these guys in summer league and, um, and I really loved him in summer league. I, th I thought it was fun. And he showed a lot of that same stuff in long Island until, um, until his injury, he had plantar fasciitis this year, which really kept him out a while. And then he tried to come back and just, it wasn't going to work, which is too bad. But when he did play in the beginning of the year, he really, he showed off that shooting. And I think kind of for me, as a young, as a young reporter, as a young guy who's still kind of learning draft and prospect analysis, 
I think he's someone that really taught me like the ethos of like your three point shooting percentage is just a number. Like, I think he only shot 36, 37% this year in the G league, but you're, I, I'm in the building and you watch him shoot and you know, he's like way better than 37%. Like the shots he's taking in motion, like he's a pure shooter. Like he's a dead eye guy. And so the same thing coach told me. Yeah. Like elite pull-up guy was sort of the sell on him coming out of uh seat hall. Like, it's just like, uh, and his D cell is what popped for me when I watched him. Like he's really good at like, like getting you like he's going to try and go all the way downhill and then stopping on a dime for that pull up uh, phone booth shooter is kind of a term that gets thrown around with him. So uh, yeah, I think that's fun. The link to that article will be down below and as well as next day where you can find all of Alex other stuff stone before we get out of here, uh, were there any other names that kind of popped to you as potential UDFAs? Um, I have a couple names who are likely summer league guys, not even like two way guys, but who I really want to see here. Uh, honestly, not really. As far as UDFAs, uh, I'm still working through a lot of film at this point, so I'll probably get to a lot of those sort of guys, you know, as we move further along in this this cycle. But um, yeah, nobody really stands out to me as like other UDFAs that I, I really feel the need to hit on. Interesting, because I'm going to talk about one of your guys. Uh, Tom Digbo is a name that stands out to me as a UDFA uh, who I love me. here. Um, Digbo cannot shoot. And he'll probably never shoot, but he's a really awesome defender and a really awesome athlete. Um, played in the NBL this year. Uh, we just did a pod where we talked about him, which will drop the same day as this, I think. Um, and he was just really, really fun and, and funky. And I can't – he needs a very specific weight place to succeed. And, again, the Nets sort of offer that. And that's where I'm coming out with my other guy, which is Taze Moore. Taze, I think is how it's supposed to be said. Taze Moore um, from Houston, just Coop's guy. Um, he could definitely shoot. He's way older than Digbo. He's like five years older than Digbo, but he could shoot a little bit. And he's just an insane athlete, really good team defender, fly around guy. I think he could be versatile on that end. Um, he's the type of guy who I who I need to see in summer league before I were to give him a two way because I think there's a chance like the game's maybe just too slow for him and he can't really dribble enough. And then he's kind of just sol. But um, he's a guy who I who I'd love to see. Uh, here and then the other one is Lester Quinones, who I bring up in a lot of these pods because I think he's really underrated. Love the point of attack defense. I think he can shoot. Um, think he's a really solid connecting prospect that gets overlooked because he played on a team that didn't value connectors. Um, Alec, this has been great. If there's any other names you want to bring up, go ahead. But if not, you know, just let the people know where they can find your stuff. All the links again will be down below to go follow him to go follow his work. But just let the people know where they can find you. I have one more name I want to ask you guys about, like kind of top of the draft. The, 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 the only like guard creator to me that really like seemed in the Nets range was Ty Ty Washington. I watched some of him in like March Madness and wasn't all too impressed, but it's very small sample size. What do you guys think of him? This is like an NBA prospect in general. In general, I think that I'm probably the highest of us. I still have him as more of a late first type of guy. Um, I think that he's really going to be able to shoot and be a fine passer. Um, I just don't think his ability to access those passes is going to be there a lot because he doesn't provide a lot of rim pressure, unfortunately. Um, but I do think he will be like a pretty solid positional defender uh, as for opposing guards. Um, so I think if he were still there at 23, I definitely would not be opposed to them taking him there because I think 
there I, I don't think it's likely um i think it's probably unlikely he's still there at 23 but if he were to be there i think there's definitely a lot worse he could do um and i think that he just overall is not um my favorite guard prospect but definitely not my least favorite <laughs> so kind of in the middle on him i'm sort of just like can take it or leave it but i think that uh for the net specifically would be an interesting guy yeah i'm not a i'm not a tie tie guy at all i i think if you're going to take a bet on a potential creator at 23 i'd much rather go kennedy chandler um i just i i for me i just don't see it with tie tie if i'm being honest like it's really as simple as that i think the pick and roll craft is a little overrated He's kind of just a lot of mid-rangers and floaters. He doesn't get all the way to the rim. I don't think the pull-up three is super projectable. He's old for his class, too. Like, if you he's junior-aged. If he had this production at his size as a junior, he's not being talked about as the top 30 prospect. That's just, like, but because he's technically a freshman, he he still gets talked about there because his – Output is solid for a freshman, but when you take into account his age, it's just and, and I don't think his development track record either. Like it's not like a Tari Eason situation where the development track, like despite him being older, is like going at a smooth upward pace. Uh, it's a lot more sort of um, he's kind of been this guy for a long time and he hasn't really developed. But um, he's like there's worse picks again. Twenty three, like it's hard to do anything like completely disgustingly bad. I think I would just prefer a Kennedy Chandler or um i feel like i'm blanking on a name or even a uh hugo basson uh i'm not going to try to say it super french way um but yeah th- those are two guys i prefer as best there basson i'm a french guy basson yeah yeah uh we just so we just recorded the international pod and they stone and coop both made fun of me because i just said it hugo basson i'm a spanish guy like i my my quote unquote second language i only kind of speak it is spanish not french so i'm like I refuse to try and do the, the huge like like from your from your diaphragm stuff. It's it's just it's rough for me. It's totally fair. Well, totally fair. Yeah, uh, Alec. Again, this has been great. Um, let the people know where they can find all your stuff. Yeah, this was such a blast. Really. Um, I'm on Twitter at Alec underscore Sturm. That's S T R M. I'm writing for Nets Daily right now, and I'm gonna be venturing into a lot of other waters pretty soon. I'm excited to see what I end up doing because I'm not really actually sure. So make sure to kind of stay tuned. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to see it. Um, Alec does great work. I really recommend you all go read his stuff at Nets Daily. Um, The Nets were a fascinating team to follow from an outsider's perspective this year. Um, Alec did great work throughout. So um, go follow him. Like I said, all of the links to his stuff will be down in the the podcast description. Uh, This is for Stone at Ali underscore. I keep doing that for stone at report underscore court for me at Bryce Hendrick 14. Give us a like rating review, all that fun stuff on your podcasting app of choice. This has been the upside swings of a draft podcast. We hope we are sealing. Thank you. We once again, like to thank our sponsors at globalshopsolution.com. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo today at globalshopsolutions.com. Thank you.